Alright, well, um, goeiemorgen allemaal. Uh, lekker om in Swellendam te wees. Um, it's lekker in hier die gedeeld van die, gedeeld? Gedeelte van die wereld. Um, yeah, and so my name is Mike, as was mentioned. I'm one of the, uh, one of the pastors, one of the elders in Josh Jen. Um, right now, my wife and I are 80. Um, we have the privilege of traveling around quite a lot to, to the churches around Josh Jen. Um, ministering into different contexts, teaching and training, and just kind of bringing Jesus where we go and wanting to try and, and point us back to Him. Um, and so we've been part of Josh Jen for many, many years. Um, we've known some friends like Milani, I think we've known for, I've known for 30, I've known for about 30 years. We met in Port Elizabeth many years ago, 1992. Uh, that's who we met, but 30 years ago. And, uh, and just we've journeyed together with some of these friends for a long, long time. And, um, and so, yeah, we, we're based in Wellington. Um, Wellington has got not as, the mountains I think are not as high. Maybe they're a bit higher than yours. And um, a bit bigger than yours. <laughs> and uh, so we live in Wellington. And uh, yeah, we're based there. I'm also involved in running um, TMT, which is the discipleship school, like a Bible school that Josh Jen has. So I have the privilege to be involved in that. So yeah, our lives are very full. We've been married 24 years, my wife and I, and we've got three children. Are, two of them are grown up. One's 21 and the other one's 19. And so um, and we've got a son who's at home, he's 14. And um, so it's a real delight. Last time I was here, interesting, in Wellington, uh, Swillendam, last time we were here, there were pews in the, in the building. I was saying to the guys on Friday night, that was the last time we were here. There actually were pews in the front. Um, so I think, I don't know what you did with those pews if you sold them or maybe, in, or they were stolen, or you chopped them up for firewood. Um, and so what, what I'd like to do this morning is um, I would like to share with you around um, what is the grace of God. And I want us to look at this thing, which is a big deal in the Bible, this concept of God's grace, the grace of God. And I want us to look outward this morning, or look upward in terms of who God is and what he has done for us. And I want to remind us of a few things this morning as we do so. And you know, this little word grace, this word grace is a big deal in the Bible. This word grace is in many ways, if you have to describe Christianity in one word, one word, you know, I ask my, my students and wherever I go, I ask them, use one word to describe Christianity. Often people will say love, truth, um, Scripture, God, but the word in the New Testament that describes the Christian faith above any other word is this word grace. Grace. And grace is a revolutionary concept, but it's something that today has often been twisted and misunderstood. And we've got people who travel around and are on TV and Christian TV, and we read their books in, in, in Christian bookstores on grace. And unfortunately, some of them are what we call these grace teachers who actually only bring ever one side of grace and never properly represent the grace of God. And what I want to do is I want to look at some scripture this morning, not saying that I have all the revelation. I don't. I am a student, just as you are a student here, and we want to learn together what God says. But we have to be aware that we have to navigate what the world says on this topic. And, you know, in the New Testament, as we read our Bibles... Um, that this little word grace redefines even the way that the letters were written in the Bible. And so in your New Testament, you've got these letters, they're called epistles. Um, but the English word is epistle. 
Um, someone once said, are the epistles the wives of the apostles? The answer is no. The epistles were the letters of the apostles, not the wives of the apostles, all right? And so we've got, <laughs> and so we've got these letters, and in the past, in Roman times, it was very common that if you wrote a letter to somebody, you would always start the letter with the word hail, hail, you know, they would say hail Caesar, it was a common greeting of the day, it's a little bit like today, when you message someone, you go, who's it, or how's it, or who hand it, or, you know, um, that type of thing, but in those days, they said the word hail, but when the writers of the New Testament wrote the books or the letters of the, of the, of the New Testament, they replaced it with the word grace. And at the beginning of every letter, or most of the letters, is this, the phrase, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Ephesians 1 verse 2, for example. They would start the letter by introducing themselves, and then they would say, may the grace of the Lord be with you. And that was something that was never done before. They started their letters with grace. And then what happened is these epistles, they actually end their letters with grace. They wouldn't just say, well, goodbye, salutations, God bless. They would end the letter with grace, and they would say things like, um, they would end the phrase, sorry, they would begin it with, sorry, they would begin their letters with grace and peace to you. That's how they'd start their letter, grace to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they would end their letter with the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And so in many ways, the, the book ends, like the beginning and the end of these letters were to do with grace. And you know, our lives are like that, where the beginning of our Christian life is about grace, and the end of our life is about grace. And so what I want to do this morning is look at what is this concept? What is when we speak about the God of grace, and we speak about the grace of God, what is it? How do we know what it is? How do we define it? Because if it was such a big deal that they redefined even the way they wrote to each other, how important is this in our lives that we understand properly the grace of God in our lives today? You know, the Bible says that, uh, it's in Romans 4, that you are no longer under law, this was for the Jews especially, but you are now under grace. What does it mean to be under the grace of of God. And so what I want to do is I want to describe grace in as like a two-sided coin. I want to use it in the way of like two sides of this, this magnificent, precious coin. And the first side of the coin I want to look at this, this morning is this idea that grace is favor. Grace is favor. It's God's favor towards you. In other words, it's God showing this great and majestic and powerful and mighty God decides to show kindness and goodness and favor and mercy upon your life of when God gives you what you don't deserve. And God gives you much more than what you do deserve. And you know, I will share a story with you. I've got lots of stories of grace, but I want to share a story with you and then look at some scriptures. Um, and I thought it was such a wonderful description of grace where um, I was reading the life story of Billy Graham um, a while ago. Billy Graham was a world-famous evangelist. He, he traveled the world preaching the gospel. Um, many of you know who Billy Graham was. And Billy Graham, when he was a young minister, he was traveling through the United States, in the, one of the southern states in the U.S., and he was driving his car really fast because he needed to get to, you know, one of the churches. So he broke the law as he, as he did so. And as he was driving his car, and um, he came through this town, 
And as he drove to town, he still, he, did, he went beyond the speed limit. Some of you are smiling because, like, you know you have a heavy foot, okay? And so, as he was driving fast, a policeman came up the road and stopped him, said, stop, and stopped him on the side and said, Sir, you have been speeding. Here is a ticket. You have to stand before the judge of this town today so that he can give you your fine, and you've got to pay now the court. And so he said to Billy Graham, come to, with me to the courthouse. And he followed him to the courthouse where the judge was in session and the judge was giving out, you know, fines and punishments. And the next case came up and Billy Graham, he kind of sat in the front and the judge looked at him and he took the, you know, the, the fine. He says, sir, I see that you are going 10 miles or, you know, over the speed limit. And so I'm going to fine you $1 for every mile that you've got over the speed limit, that'll be a $10 fine for you that you need to pay. And he said, are you guilty, Mr. Graham? And Mr. Graham said, yes, I am guilty. I, I admit, I, I, I broke the, the, you know, the speed limit. I, I sped. And while the judge was looking at him, he suddenly realized that this man who was before him was the famous Billy Graham. And he was like, you Billy Graham? And he said, yes, I am, sir. You that Graham? Yes, I am, sir. And he took the the, the $10 bill, and he said, you know what? I'm going to pay that bill. And what the judge did is he took, and he paid the bill. He took $10 out of his, his wallet, and he stapled it to the, the bill and said, I'm going to pay it. And he said, you know what? I would like to take you out for a steak dinner. Can you stay? And I'd like to take you out for dinner, please, or lunch. And he paid it for him, and he said, I'd like to spend some time with you. And Billy Graham said, you know, that was God's grace to a repentant sinner. And this idea of grace, you know, is that, that God says, even though that we deserve punishment, He says, I'm going to give you mercy, even though you don't deserve it. And, you know, there's a scripture that speaks about this in Romans 3, 24. It says this, that we are justified, Romans 3, 24. In other words, we, we, we are declared in right standing with God, the judge, by His grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, that we are standing, we are justified. In other words, that God declares you, says you're innocent, that if you come to me and if you surrender your life to me, if you come and you put your trust in Jesus Christ, I'm going to declare you innocent even though you're guilty, and I'm going to pay the fine for you. Um, there's another scripture in Ephesians 2, and I'll look at that now, but you know, I just want to say this about the judge is that, did you know that God is a judge? That this God that we serve, we know we sometimes look at Him as this, this, this Father. You know, almost some of us have different views of God. You know, some of us have been, have been brought up where maybe I was brought up personally in a home where God was like a, a big headmaster in the sky. Because I, that's the way I was, I was brought up, that God was this being who had a stick and that God would kind of punish you almost like he'd lash out at you, and God was always in a bad mood, and he was grumpy. He always had this frown on his face, and he never had time for me. And now, in some ways, that was right, not the view of God, but I knew that I was, there was something in the way between me and God, and I knew that if I had to appear before God as a young, unsaved man, I knew that, in a sense, I was in big trouble, because I knew I was living for myself, and I knew that God somehow was a judge. I didn't know the scriptures in the Old Testament that said, you know, God is the judge of the whole earth. I didn't know the scriptures, but I instinctively knew that God is a being with great power, 
And in a sense, I'm very small before him. And so I knew that, but, but I didn't understand that God actually, by heart, had, had sent his son on a rescue mission to save me. I didn't know that. So I was trying to impress the judge. I was trying to work harder to pay off my bill. And I didn't realize that all I had to do was come before the father, who's the judge, and say, I know that I'm guilty. I admit it. But Lord, I choose today, I'm going to submit under your son. And as I unpack this this morning, I want to say that, you know, God actually is a judge before he's a father. And unfortunately, some people have a view of God as a kind of Father Christmas in the sky. This kind of, you know, big kind of old man, you know, who's kind of wearing a red suit, handing out little presents, <laughs> you know. And if you sin, he kind of says, he'll pat you on the head and he'll stroke you and say, don't worry, you know, love wins at the end. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a being of such power and majesty and might that actually Scripture says that, that because He's the judge of the whole earth, He's this God, in a sense, that uh, the, we have to stand in awe of who He is. You know, and, and the Old Testament speaks about the fear of the Lord and how actually if you know any sense of who God is, that God is this great powerful being um, like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 said, when Isaiah the prophet had a revelation of God, he didn't see God as this kind of big happy Father Christmas sitting on like a big fat chair and, you know, handing out gifts. When Isaiah had a, had a revelation of God, he saw God as holy and he fell down on his face. And you know what um, Isaiah says in Isaiah 6? He says, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips because I've seen the living God. And he actually goes, basically, I am in big trouble because I see how powerful and pure and mighty this God that I serve is. And he was down on his knees saying, woe is me. And he was a prophet. He was a man who probably had lived a holy life. But he saw the, the magnificence and might of God. And I want to say that before we can ever receive God's grace, we actually have to see his might and his power. You've got to realize that God is big and that you are little, that he is judge, and if he chooses to forgive you, he does so not because you deserve it, but because simply he is merciful. He's kind through his son Jesus. And, um, you know, just to give you an illustration of how big God is, I mean, I, I don't know how many of you enjoy mountain climbing. I know um, Charles was saying that they, they used to climb to Misty Point in, in Swellendam. That's right, Misty Point? Okay, Misty Pint. <laughs> okay. And as they, as they would climb up there, you know, when you're on a mountain, you realize how small you are in comparison to a mountain. Um, those who climb Mount Everest say that Mount Everest is eight kilometers high from top to bottom, okay? eight kilometers, and those who want to climb Mount Everest, I know Misty Point, you can climb, I think in six, seven hours, you can walk to the top. Mount Everest, to climb it properly, takes two months. They say it's so tall that at the top of Everest, obviously there's lack of oxygen, and if you climb to the top, you enter into what they call the death zone, where your body literally begins to shut down because of a lack of oxygen, so you have to climb quickly and then come down quickly, especially that last third. And at the top of Everest, there are these winds that circle. They're called these um, jet streams that circle the earth. And these jet streams will, 
will have winds at like 120 kilometers an hour, and the top of Everest catches the jet streams of the earth that circle the earth. And when climbers who climb Mount Everest get there, they, all of them say this one thing, they realize how small they are in comparison to that mighty mountain. And you know, friends, you know what the amazing thing is? We serve the maker of that mountain, who with one word spoke the world into being, who spoke the, the, the mountains into being. And sometimes our generation is a generation that when we think about grace, we think about this, okay, yeah, I'm just going to receive forgiveness. Hey, God, here I am. Yep, what are you going to give me? What do, I, don't you know what I deserve? Rather than understanding that you and I stand before a judge and we deserve nothing from God. We have broken His laws. We have disobeyed Him. We have sinned against Him. We, the Bible says that we are rebels outside of Jesus Christ. And so the judge, even though he sees us, and in one way, although he is by nature good, by the way, this is a good judge, that the judge himself, isn't that, and this is the good news of favor, of grace, this is what essentially grace starts at this place, saying that even though I'm going to punish you, if you accept my son Jesus Christ, you are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus. In other words, you can't save yourself, and so the judge comes, and he pays the price, and you receive that grace. And when you realize that God is mighty, and you are little, you know, I want to say this about the fear of God, because I'm, now you say, but Mike, aren't you talking about grace? Yes, but I'm talking about fear, and I want to say this, that without fear, there can be no grace. Without the fear of God, you cannot have the grace of God. In other words, you can't have favor, you can't have God's kindness towards you if you don't understand His might and His awesome holiness. You can't understand it, okay? And, and I want to say, please, may we never, when we talk about these things, we're not, I'm not trying to, this isn't something like grace is some kind of thing we throw around. This is a holy, deep, powerful topic uh, and truth in the Lord. I love this, Ephesians 2, 8-9, let's read that together. Ephesians 2, 8-9. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so when we speak about grace as favor, it's this idea that you and I come into the Christian faith because you've, been, you've received a gift. And what is the gift that you have received? How do we earn, how do we get this gift? How do we receive this gift? It says through Jesus Christ, by trusting Him, by saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm going to submit my life to you. I am no longer going to live for myself. I'm going to put my trust in you, Lord. I want to ask you a question this morning, and then I'm going to move on to the second part. Is, do you believe this morning that if you have put your trust and you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, to the Lord Jesus do you believe today that you are loved and accepted by God? Do you believe that? Do you believe that when you come to God this morning, that if you hide yourself in Jesus, that you're loved by God and God accepts you? And, you know, that He loves you. That when He looks at you, it's like, I accept you, I love you. You know, we say, yeah, but I know God loves us because that's kind of His job. He kind of has to love us, you know. It's like a father to his children. You know, I'm, not, I'm upset with you right now, but I have to love you. 
No, it's like God's heart, because you're in His Son, Jesus, that when He looks at you, He's something of the pleasure of His heart is towards you. Not because you're a good person, but because Jesus was a good person. And because we hide ourselves in Him. And in a sense, we have to remind ourselves when sometimes we feel the condemnation and shame. And when you've done something wrong and you know, ah, I've messed up again. You know, ah, I've sinned again. I've like, ah, I know that I haven't. And you come in Jesus to the Father every time with humility. The Father looks at you and says, you are loved by me. I'm going to pour favor upon you. You are a son in my house, and I'm raising you up with me. He said, but Lord, I feel so unworthy. You are unworthy. And that is the mercy and the kindness of God. That is grace. And that is why grace is so revolutionary, because we live in a world that says you are who you, what you, what you, you know, you, you, you identified by what you do. God says you are now identified by what you believe. You are identified by who you follow. That is the revolutionary part of Christianity. Isn't that good news? I want to ask you this morning, don't you think that's good news? Huh? Isn't that amazing? Like, I know for me, man, I have to remind myself of this because I've come out of a re- very religious home. Um, I grew up in the Catholic Church. You know, the Catholic is Katholika um, Kerk. And, you know, when we went to church, we had um, the priests dressed up. We called them Father. They're dressed up with long dresses, like a mother. <laughs> and they would, you know, it was very formal and religious, and we had this, the smoking sense of the smoking handbag that they would, you know, and, and the, the holy water, all right? Now, I'm actually not, I know there actually are people who love the Lord. I'm not, but, but I got saved out of that very performance-based religion. And even today, I've been saved now 30 years and even today, I struggle at times to, to, I have to remind myself, Mike, I have to look myself in the mirror, God loves you. God accepts you in Jesus. That I'm loved because of Jesus' obedience on my behalf. And I've got to remind myself of that because I want to I wanna begin to strive and say, but God, don't you know, I'm trying hard. Can't you see I love you? You know, he says, don't worry, my son, I, I love you. I'm accepted, I accept you. And I think sometimes, you know, in our relationships, we struggle so much to actually show grace to other people. And maybe you're here today and you've got a, a pattern in your life of maybe the relationships around you that you maybe struggle to forgive, like you're holding on with unforgiveness at times to certain people, or maybe you often have conflict in your relationship. And it could well be that you don't understand the grace of God. And so you treat other people because you're trying to get God's approval and you're trying to do that and you're trying to almost put that on other people. If you do not understand grace, it will not flow down properly into your relationships. Okay, so that's the first side is grace is God's favor. It's his undeserved kindness that's towards you. That he's kind, and he's crazy about you, man. I've realized that with God. It's like, like God actually likes you, you know? Like, really? Yeah, I mean, like, he likes you. It's like a sense that, like, he is, he's, and I don't think we hear that enough, actually, you know, that the Lord is just delighted with you, you know? It's like, that's my boy, Woo! that's my girl, you know? And when, we, when we're walking out our faith in him, even if you're stumbling along, like, God is rejoicing. The Bible says that God rejoices over us with singing, and that means that God looks and he sings over you, and he delights in you. You are loved by God. 
And I want to remind you today, if you're in Jesus, you are loved by God. Now, if we just have that one side, I want to say that Christianity in some ways is actually, that's actually not just what grace is. Now, what some people do, they've taken grace and they've, that's what they've made grace to be. That's it. But if we look at the New Testament, we see that grace is not just favor and kindness and the goodness of God towards us. Grace, and this is the second half of the coin, grace is power. Grace is power. It's God's powerful presence, enabling presence, living within you through the person of the Holy Spirit. So the New Testament teaches that God's gracious kindness to you actually translates to His power living inside of you, His gracious presence in us, empowering us to obey. And I'm going to look through a number of scriptures dealing with this, that sometimes we don't hear these things. And I want to, and what I'm doing this morning is I'm not here to kind of tickle your ears or to kind of just leave it at that. I want to, I'm here to equip you this morning. I'm here to train you. I'm here to kind of cause us to, to live the kind of life that pleases God. So although you are loved, we actually have to call to please Him. Not because we're trying to gain favor or say, no, He loves you. But because He loves you, we're now called to be living as a certain kind of life that actually shows what He is like to other people. You know, in, the, um, in Hebrews 10 verse 29, it says that the Holy Spirit, it refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of grace. And it describes the Holy Spirit living within you that, that He says is the Spirit of grace. And we know that, you know, in the New Testament, you don't have to turn there, but in uh, Acts chapter 4, it says that the early church, they're a bit like us, they were a spiritful people, they, they had the Spirit of God, they had the life of God, they were seeing people saved and born again, and they were a community that were learning to love one another, like you and I are doing, right? Like this community is doing. And it says in uh, Acts 4.33 that this early church, as they're seeing people saved and broken people coming into the church and finding wholeness and healing, and it says great grace was upon them. That's the language that gets used. Great grace was upon the church. And you know, we're living in a season where there's great grace upon us. But that great grace, what they meant by that is that there's power that is in this fellowship. And that is the inheritance that we have as Christians. There's power that's available. And so the Holy Spirit, the reason that these were people, you know, one thing we do in um, Josh Jen, if you've been part of Josh Jen for any period of time, you know that one of the key scriptures we use who knows what, where that comes from? Acts 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, uh, the prayers, you know, the breaking of bread. You know, if you're a good Josh Jenner, you've probably got that scripture on your fridge, <laughs> on your mirror in your bedroom. No, not really, okay? Maybe you've got it as a bumper sticker on your car. Hey, Acts 2, 42, you know? And we often emphasize, like, they devoted themselves. They, these were people that weren't half-hearted Christians. They weren't like, ons gaan kerk toe op a sondag, and miskien gaan ons woensdag aand community toe. Hey, we radical, eh? Like, we are radical in our faith. No, 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 no. Their life was devoted to Jesus and His people. They met in each other's homes every day. They were selling their possessions and they were giving to the poor. There was a radical generosity. We read this stuff and it's like, whoo! Like, these are, these are, this is serious, man. 
Like, they really believe what they, and we read this, and it's like, okay, we've got to now try harder, you know, and we kind of do a white-knuckle Christianity where we're like, yes, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to devote myself like they did. But what we don't realize with this is that they devoted themselves. Why? Why did they, what made them be devoted? And you've got to go back to the beginning of Acts chapter 2, and you find out this amazing thing. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were a spiritful people. And so it wasn't like they were trying hard. It's like they had the Spirit. They were tapping in. They had the life of God. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And because of that, the overflow was Acts 2.42. We don't aim for that. We aim to get to the source, to get to the well. And we drink from that well. And, you know, with the grace of God is when it says that great grace was upon them, it, it meant that they were, they were people of the Spirit, and because you're a people of the Spirit, because you're, you're, you understand God's grace, it's like you're actually going to live for Him. You can't help to do that. And, and in the New Testament, when the word grace gets used, um, uh, we'll look at four scriptures together. The word grace gets used in connection with how we live, okay? Let's look at these four scriptures together, and you'll see that grace isn't just saying you've got license to do what you want, Grace is not a license to, be, to, to sin or a license to be selfish or to say, you know, oh, I've had a hard week and it's Sunday morning and, you know, I don't feel like going to church this morning. Oh, and I'm going to just stay under my juve because it's cold and I'm not going to actually go to church. Oh, thank God for the grace of God. And you're lying in bed. Oh, thank you, Father, that you love me. And I'm just going to have church on my own. Yes, Lord, your grace can let me stay under my juve. Is that the grace of God? <laughs> Let's read what it says, right? Titus 2, verse 11 to 12, the first scripture we look in this. So grace is power. And it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Friends, how did the grace of God appear? Through Jesus. Jesus, we look at that just now, he's full of grace and truth. And the grace of God has appeared, and as He came and He died on the cross and He rose again, He sent His Holy Spirit. And now the Spirit living inside of us is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. And it says here that grace trains you. How many, do any of you go to gym, or have any of you ever gone to gym, or you're part of a sports team where you've got a personal trainer or a coach? How many of your coaches are there who are just nice to you all the time? And your coach is there, you know, and let's say you're in athletics. I know, um, okay, I didn't do athletics at school, but I did play, I played soccer. I'm not, I can hear rugby gespeel I was a soccer player, okay? What's that? That's got a round ball, okay? That's the round ball. And when I was in uh, primary school and a bit of high school, I played club soccer. And, you know, when we went to the soccer field, the coach... His job was to train us. But the way he trained us, he didn't say, you know, we, we would kick the ball around. And, and then after a while, after about 20 minutes, we got tired. And we'd lie on the grass, pick out the grass, you know, chew it. If our coach said, ah, oh, you know, these boys are tired, shame. Our coach would blow the whistle. Come on, get up. It's time to run. And I'm going to train you now. And we had to run and we had to do things that we weren't comfortable with. You see, when God's grace appears and trains us by the Spirit of grace, God is going to push you sometimes in doing things that are not comfortable. He's going to train you to say no to temptation and to ungodliness. 
And you know, this is the way that, that grace works in this situation, is that, that, for example, let's say that you have felt in the Lord that you need to get up early and spend time with Him. And it's at 6 a.m. and it's cold outside because now it's winter. And your duvet, your pillow saying, stay with me, stay with me, don't go, you know. And your pillow is saying, you know, the grace of God will, will let you stay on your pillow. And then you're lying there and you're, then suddenly Titus 2 comes into your mind. But the grace of God will train you to say no to temptation, no to ungodliness, no to laziness, no to these things. And you get up, and, and then you say, no, I'm going to get up. And you take that, that duvet, and you throw the duvet off you. And you're cold, and you, and you swing your legs out of the bed, and you're tired, and you're like, I'm going I'm to do this now. Do you know what that was? That was the grace of God working inside of you. You, you said, no, but I, it was my effort. Friends, every time you say yes to God, it is the grace of God that's inside of you. Don't, don't, don't divorce work. It's the grace of God. But every time you lie in your bed and you think, no, I'm not going to get up today. I'm not going to get up for that meeting or that I'm not going to get up for the Lord. That is the flesh. Let's look at some other scriptures. All right. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. Um, let, me, let me find it here. It's up on the board, but I will read it. Now, this is a, another scripture dealing with grace. And again, it's a context here. Look what it says. It says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. In other words, I want to say, to start with this, to say that, that, you know, when he said the grace of God towards me is not in vain, he says, it's given to me, not without any reason. Not that I can live like I want, but now I have changed into the image of God. I'm becoming a holy person. I'm becoming someone trained to godliness. And so this grace is given to me is producing some kind of effect in my life. It's not in vain. It's not without reason. It's not just on, it's producing something within me. And that's how you know you've got grace that's towards you. And look what he says. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Like, what? So he's saying, man, I worked hard. In fact, he's saying, I worked harder than all the other apostles. If you want to know that they worked eight hours a day, I worked ten hours a day. You know, they prayed for an hour a day, I prayed for two hours a day. They studied the Word, I studied the Word more. They traveled, I traveled more. They preached, I preached more. I worked harder than them. That's what Paul says. He says, yes, he's arrogant. You know, this guy's boasting. He, he is boasting a little bit, but he's boasting in the Lord. But this is the thing I want you to do, is that it says, but it was not me, it's grace. And so I want to say, don't be scared of effort for the Lord. Don't be scared of, of hard work. Don't be scared of sacrifice, because when you do, it's grace. As long as you're rooted in Jesus, and you're not trying to do it to earn favor from God. Okay? I want to ask you, how are you doing that area with the Lord? If someone has to ask you about your faith, will they say that you work hard in the Lord? I do, I do know many of you work hard in the Lord. But thank God it's grace. All right, let's look at the next scripture. And um, 2 Corinthians 8, verse, verse 1. It says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Okay, now we read that, oh, praise God the grace of God, you know, oh, God's kindness towards them, God loved them, He was celebrating them, yes, He was, 
But why does he say that there's been grace given to amass these churches? Why? What is the, if you've got your Bible, what is the heading of your Bible? What, it, what, what was this church so well known for? Because these were people that had little, they had nothing. They actually, their finances, they were very, very poor. And if you read about it, if you go that this grace has been given, you read that these were people that gave generously. And look what he says here in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 6. It's not going to be on the board, but he says, accordingly, um, so he speaks about this act of grace that they gave with, with, out of the grace of God. And then when they gave sacrificially, it says actually it was the grace of God through them giving. So when you have grace that is in your life, the result of that is if you're in the Lord, He will enable you to give sacrificially. In other words, you, you give when it hurts. You know, that is the grace of God. And it's a sign of great grace that is upon His people. Let's look at the last scripture, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. Um, and here, again, it speaks of grace, and it says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Don't you love that? So at all times, having all sufficiency in all, in all things at all times, you may abound in, what does it say? Every good work. And so when God's grace is towards you, He will help you to live for Him and enable you to do good works, to actually do good to others as you do so. So can we see that grace is not just living, grace is actually power to enable you. Now you say, but Mike, that's all good and well. Praise God for that. You know, it's wonderful. But how do we actually receive the grace of God? Because I know for all of us, you know, we go through seasons where we are tired. And I know many of you here have been running hard. Many of you are facing your own challenges and issues. God's not saying to you this morning, well, just try a little bit harder. He's not saying that. He's saying there's a sense that as a Christian, you tapped into some source of power that can help you even through the most difficult time so you can bear fruit for Him. But how do we, how do we find the grace of God to live like this? That, that, you know, how do we live like that? Like, wow, I want to live sacrificially, don't we all? I want to I wanna abound in every good work. I want to live the kind of life where there's joy in, in difficulty, that even though, man, that, that I'm overcoming in the Lord. I want to live like that. But how do we obtain grace? How do we find grace? Well, let's have a look. And this is the key that I want to give you. I want to give you two things as we close. The, fir the first thing I want to say to you, how do we find grace? The way we find grace is that you have to remain in Jesus. That's the most important thing. You've got to tap in and be in relationship with the Lord Jesus. And I, look what it says here. John 1, verse, uh, well, John 1 verse 14 says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. That this being we serve, this one we follow, in Him He embodies truth and grace, kindness and favor of God towards us. But in 1 verse 16, it says this, John 1 verse 16, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. We've all received. So when you're following Him and when you are in a relationship with Him and you're drawing near to Jesus and you're receiving from Him and you've, you, you're spending time with Him, that from His fullness, there's grace upon grace. And what that means, it means that there is, what, what the word means, it means that there is favor upon favor, that's what John 1.16 says, or blessing upon blessing from His fullness. 
in him, in him, when you're in him, when you remain in him. Now, it doesn't mean just say, oh yeah, but I believe that. No, when the New Testament says that you're in him, it means that you are, you're living in him. It means that you're following him. So you say, but I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, a follower of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus. That's what a New Testament follower is. A, a follower is someone who follows. And as you follow, as you're in him, as you trust in him, as you come to him, as you spend time with him, like you would your friend or your partner, or your, there's grace upon grace that flows to you. And in some ways, I know someone once said this, that if Christ is the source of grace, your prayer life or your time with him is like a pipeline. And that pipeline, you know those oil pipelines that, that there's oil out the ground, it gushes the oil out the ground and it pushes it through the pipeline, is when you're spending time with the Lord, it's like there's this pipeline in Jesus. And as you're in him, there's a pipeline flowing into your, your life of grace upon grace. It flows out of Jesus into your life and it sustains you and enables you even during those times when you feel you can't. There is grace upon grace and we have to believe that. We have to believe that in Jesus there is enough for us. We have to believe it. We have to believe that, Lord, I'm coming to you and it says in your word that your grace is enough right? That's what it says in 2 Corinthians. I have to believe that when I'm at the end of myself, and even when I'm at the beginning of myself, that there is grace upon grace that's going to flow to me. And that means that for every part of my life, God, I'm trusting you. I'm asking you, please, would you enable me? Would you fill me and flood me by your Holy Spirit? Would you enable me to, to be this kind of Christian that has grace upon grace, favor upon favor? Yeah, but Mike, you don't understand. I'm, I'm going through the fire right now. Ah, oh man, I'm going through, I've lost I've a loved one, I'm suffering financial meltdown, I'm in this situation, I'm doubting my faith. Well, there is grace upon grace. There's grace upon grace. It's there, it's there for you. And what this says here is that grace, it shows us, is not some kind of impersonal principle. Grace is linked to the person of Jesus. How do you find grace? Find Jesus. Find Jesus. That's what Hebrews 4 says. It says that we come before the throne of grace to a high priest who cares for us, that we might, it says this, find grace and receive help in times of need. How do we do so? You've got to find the grace of God. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes like, Lord, I'm in a difficult place. I'm struggling. I'm dry. I'm empty. I've been working hard. Lord, I need a sense of just that you are, your presence is with me. What, do, what must you do? you find it. You look for it. You seek it. Because sometimes God does hide himself from us so that we can find him. And we can learn how to build maturity in the faith in him. So that's the first thing, is we, we, we hide ourselves in Jesus and we look for him. And you say, oh, but Mike, yo, I thought this would be a bit more profound, you know. You know, all you've just spoken about is Jesus. Praise God. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, what's the big takeaway point? Um, that, you know, God's grace is God's kindness towards me in Jesus and God's power towards me in Jesus by the Spirit and now I have to stay in Jesus? Well done. Uh, and that my life is about Jesus? You got it. What is a Christian? It's someone who follows Jesus. No, but what particular truth do you have? Like, what do you believe that's different... I believe Jesus is God and I follow him. And when Jesus says it, I follow him. And I really believe it. Like, you really believe it? I really believe it. No, but what particular doctrine do you believe? Well, I believe in Jesus. And I love him. And I trust him. 
okay, but what kind of church are you really? I mean, you're Josh Jen, and some, you know, say Josh Jen's a bit weird because you're into the book of Acts, and you're into all this stuff, and church discipline, and, you know, you, you send money to the nations. And pl- what is it about you as Josh Jen? What's the one thing? We love Jesus. Oh, you that, you that church? No, we the Jesus church. We just love him, right? That's what we have to be known for. If someone cuts you, what bleeds out? Jesus. What is your legacy? Jesus. What do you remain in? What do you speak about? We speak about life, and, but everything is centered around Jesus. And friends, if we are not passionate about this man, Jesus, actually, we, we don't know what Christianity is. If we make it a list of rules and things, we've lost it. And who is this Jesus? He's not a little God. He's not some God of our imagination. You know, he's not some kind of hippie Jesus with a flower in his hair, you know, barefoot Jesus, like, hey, man, peace to the world. And, you know, and he just shows, and he's, you know, he he rescues all kittens from the trees and puppies out of ditches, you know, and he hugs trees. You know, we serve the Jesus of the Bible, who sometimes is angry against sin and who's bigger than our circumstance, and who promises that when evil things happen to you, he will work it out for the good. But you have to remain in Jesus. And from Jesus comes truth, grace upon grace, a pipeline of blessing upon blessing, favor upon favor, even when you're in the middle of the worst situation of your life. You say, you know, that situation, whatever, 2020 or 2021, I know many of you have gone through COVID difficulties. I lost my job, but I look back on 2021, and all I see is grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. All I see is the hand of Jesus. Isn't that a testimony of God? So I'm rambling now. I'm speaking. That's just, I want to, oh, we don't, mustn't we forget these things? And so how do we receive the grace of God? We remain in Jesus. The second thing that I want to give you along with this, in 1 Peter 5 verse 5, I love this, this truth that's given in 1 Peter 5 verse 5. And again, as we remain in Him, as we part of remaining in Him, I love this truth. It says, verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. And so the first, as part of that, I want to say that because you're in Him, how do you treat people around you? And you know, this pipeline of grace flows when we actually learn to treat one another like God treats us. How can I hold something against my brother if God has not held it against me? If God has forgiven me, how dare you hold unforgiveness and, and, and conflict in your heart? You've got to deal with it. And when this town will look at this church, they will see Christ in this church through a people who forgive and love one another. That's it. This is how the world will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. But what kind of great evangelism thing must we do? Jesus said, this is how the world may know, not because you all speak in tongues, and we want to speak in tongues, because you love one another. <laughs> yeah, but what else must we do? You know, what kind of great love one another? This is how the world may know. And I think this thing of grace, the way we, we, we with humility towards one another, saying, oh, I respect you in the Lord. I want to, you know, I want to learn how to honor you. We're going to honor one another. And then it carries on, and it says this, For God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Isn't that beautiful? He gives grace to the humble. 
In other words, those who come under authority, those who say, Lord, I'm going to be a son or daughter in the house. I'm going to learn to posture my heart right before you and before those around me, before my leaders, before one another in the Lord. Friends, if you do that, oh, the grace of God, man, it is going to flow towards you. It's going to flow. It's going to, it's going to pour itself out. God, through Jesus, pours himself out towards you. God is two sides of the coin. What is grace? Favor, undeserved, unmerciful. Let me say you, we will mess it up. And when you mess it up, God says, it's okay, I love you. No, I accept you. You're loved in me. Don't worry, you're going to mess it up. But grace is power that if you remain healed slowly, he grows you to start to overcome. It doesn't mean you're going to get it right all the time. Maybe one day you're going to actually not get up from your bed. And you realize, like, actually, I, well, you fast, and you, like, this would happen to me. I was fasting once, and many times, actually, okay, but, but the one, okay, this happened a couple times. The one time I was fasting, I just, I remember in the day, I was like, I was so, I was struggling. I felt the Lord say, you need to fast. You need to learn how to discipline your body. And, and I remember breaking the fast, because I was a school teacher, and I went into the, 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 cl- the staff room, and one of the moms had baked cheesecake, scones, carrot cake, cook sisters. It was all on the table. They never had food in the staff room. The day I'm fasting, man, there's food in the, in the staff room. And I was like, Lord, it's not fair, you know? And I just said, ah, I don't care. I'm going to eat. And I just ate. I didn't. I said, I broke my fast. And afterwards, I felt terrible. I was like, oh, I messed up, man. The Lord asked me to fast, and I didn't do it. And I, you know, I messed it up. I only got like halfway. I was like, it's okay. You know, you, th- that, your salvation's in Jesus, not in the fact you ate cheesecake. That's okay. Pick yourself up. Try again. And maybe, and then I did better the next time. You know, whatever you're facing, it's like we, we grow in godliness. We, but grace empowers you along the way as you do so. We're a people loved by God as we do so. So I'd like to pray for us as we close this morning. And, um, yeah, can we just receive grace afresh? Let's just, let's just close our eyes together and pray. Oh, we love you, Lord.